Hello, and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Wildbo's most nice and accurate work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Malafide 10.3. Uh, which picks up mm-hmm. with uh, the ghost of Molly Thorburn just peeping on Mags and Blake as uh, Mags explains what actually went down in Toronto. Yeah, and I think for me, this opening segment really cements this fact that I no longer believe the ending to Arc 8 is like a victory. Mm. Um, you mean Mags securing her place in the world? Yeah. I mean, obviously, I guess it's better than her just, like, falling into the abyss. It's a victory Uh, in comparison. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Relative victory, sure. But, uh, like, like, there was really a sense of, at the end of Arcade, it was a real, like, fuck yeah moment. Um, Yeah, I guess that's happened a few times throughout the story where there's been a moment that's kind of like a badass victory, but it's only really a victory in context. And when you consider (laughs) the wider scope of the situation, it's there's still a long mountain to climb. Well, what I kind of like about the Mags one is I think we made a lot of references in Signature to it having a bit of a fairy tale thing. And mm. there's this nice little inversion of she's not just living happily ever after. Uh, like we really come to an understanding in this chapter of how tenuous her position is mm. right now. Like she's, she's really freaking out. At first, my, one of my first reactions was like, she, she's just freaking out about herself. Like what a practitioner. Mm. Um you know, she doesn't even care about Molly in this situation. But then I was like, and then, but then she sort of explains the situation more. And I'm like, okay, no, she's actually like, she's still walking the racer's edge. Uh, yeah. Uh, whereas I guess because of the way we left off Signature, I was sort of operating on the sense that she was quite safe and in control now. And that's not the case at all from the looks of it. Yeah, definitely not. Um, and she, so she catches Blake up on, on what happened, that it was actually old Pado in, uh, in, in toronto not her um yeah and i like that obviously we already knew this as the audience and so um mags gets through it relatively quickly and blake is just quite accepting of it which helps it go quick from a audience perspective but when you think about it the fact that blake is completely kind of unfazed by this is a little bit uh unsettling i suppose (laughs) um we mentioned how we feel like blake is getting number and number and this chapter definitely hits that beat a few times Oh, for for sure. Um, it's it's a very strong in this chapter. Um, it, yeah, I agree. I think this works metatextually because obviously it's telling us information we already know. So it's useful for us as the readers to just have this sort of jammed in the middle of something because we we already know it and we're really only interested in Blake's reaction, um, which hits us because there isn't one. Yeah, he doesn't um, really react. He's just like, <laughs> oh yeah, okay. But I think for me, this really sort of. It felt it felt so packedy, so practitionery. Like Mags had the chance last chapter multiple times to tell this to Blake in a calm, controlled <laughs> manner, where she could really like let him know on her own terms. And instead, now she has to rush it because she left it too long, and now it's an emergency. And I mean, yeah. like this is exactly what Blake was talking about with Black Lamb's blood and and all the demon stuff. It's like people are just sitting on shit in this world until it's an emergency, and this is a microcosm of of that exact phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty great example of it, isn't it? Um, I want to read out a line here, which I quite like. Blake's response to uh, Mags telling him about, you know, it being Podrick is, I get it, I said. My mind ticked over every scene, every doubt I'd had. Not a possessed human, but a human mask stretched over an other, which is a uh, very fun realisation for Blake to have, because this does sound exactly like (laughs) him. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, it's a nice little food for thought moment for Blake as he comes to realise that what he didn't like about Pordrig was that Pordrig was doing what he was doing. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, it's, it is it, it is a nice little uh, connection that's made by the story in that line. Yep. Um, so Mags and Blake kind of walk away from Molly's ghost to try and figure out an action plan, but as Mags kind of freaks out a little bit more, uh, they realise Molly has followed them. <laughs> Yeah, I love how this magnifies sort of the stakes. Like, it was already Mags freaking out, but it was like, okay, we can recover. We're just going to take a step back, and, and Blake's going to be, oh, my God, she's following us. Like, it's, yeah. and, 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 you know, the Molly ghost has done fuck all f- since Molly was killed. So yeah. it, it really feels like something has sort of switched and, like, you know, something is happening. Like, there is there is this sort of sense that this isn't just like, oh, no, she's following us. It's like, okay, this yeah. the rules have changed, yeah. and that's terrifying. Yeah, and and Molly's ghost continues to escalate throughout this entire chapter, right? Um, yeah, getting more and more active, and and Blake, <laughs> Blake, you know, for his part, doesn't really help with that. I mean, he kind of plays into <laughs> it a little bit at the start here. He kind of is like chit chatting to Molly's ghost and like relating to her and em- empathizing with her and kind of feeding what i would describe as feeding energy to her through his conversation um which i don't think is very helpful in this situation well i guess that depends on whether you want molly back or not Uh, well sure but this isn't molly (laughs) this is molly's ghost well so that's the interesting thing there's there's sort of two angles you can take for this right you can either say oh look this is old blake it's what he did with june and leonard he's treating her like people or you can look at what happened last chapter and so, or you can look at what happened last chapter and say, oh, Blake is just hanging out with more of his, like, other friends because he's not a human anymore. Mm. Um, I'm going to stick to the first one because I think it makes more sense and it makes me happier. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, you're right. He he doesn't really join in with Mags' panic for this. He starts instantly kind of talking to Molly as as if she's quite sentient. Yes. Um, and, and she shows varying degrees of that as the chapter goes on. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is, Mags is really freaking out, uh, and, and the reason for this she kind of explains, because she kind of is realising that she is possibly pay- playing a part in bringing two Thorburns back from the dead, <laughs> um, and kind of explains blood, fire, and darkness to Blake, and the fact that this seems like a pretty ripe candidate for a, for a real blood, fire, and darkness. Yeah, so again, another load of, uh, important information dumped during, like, the middle of a disaster. Yeah. Um. I mean, I guess I was just happy Mags is talking to someone about this now, though, because, like, most of Signature was defined by Maggie slash the girl in the checkered scarf slash Mags just internalizing all of this and not having anyone to talk about it with. Yeah. But now she's got a friend. Yeah, exactly. Like, I kind of just wish Blake was the sort of person who could just be like, no, you know what? I'll just hang out with you and join Mm. your neutral party. You can bind me or whatever and let's just hang out. Mags only Um, talks to dead Thorburns, really. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't made that connection. That was pretty good. Um, but, I mean, you know, I mentioned this in Signature. She's she's freaking out because everyone's going to be like, oh, you brought back yeah. two Thorburns. Uh, when she was doing her d- her denaming ritual, um, like, she named Blake and Molly as two of her connections. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, the, they're already there. In her declaration of her being the neutral party, she already kind of aligned herself with these two. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I just think, like... She's kind of so already we- crossed that bridge. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and I just, I, I, I hate how people are lumping Blake in with Rose because that's so not, like, where he's at right now. Like, yeah, you could it's use, not like you they're could try images use... of each other or something. Well, 
I mean, they're not acting like it anymore. Or well, yeah. no, actually, they are acting like it because they're complete opposites right now. Um, <laughs> but you know, like it almost feels like I just want like Sandra or Johannes to turn around and be like, "Okay, Blake, uh, you can be on my team, and your mission is to make sure that the rest of them just get away from Rose." Because like Blake would be all mm. for that. It's like, "Hey, Hell you yeah. to take away Rose's allies? Like, sweet, we're on the same side. Let's do it." Yeah, yeah. No, it's fair. Um, I feel like Mag's Mag's panic seems unfounded to start with but the more we hear about it the more i'm like you know what this is a fair point <laughs> mm, yeah uh, as 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 we said well as i mentioned earlier uh yeah. she she already did name them so you're right that maybe it's that ship has sailed yeah but um as she explains here like her situation is so fucking flimsy right now she she can't afford to rock the boat yeah um i want to call out a, a way that she <laughs> describes this which i think is hilarious she says in in thinking about kind of how people will respond to knowing that there are now three Thorburns, she says, some are going to be flying around in a mad panic, propelled here and there by the sheer violence with which they're shitting their pants, and the rest are going to be getting organized to murder you and pointing the finger at me. Which is a great line. It's hilarious. I love the image of <laughs> people flying around panicked, propelled by them shitting their pants. Well, she doesn't get forsworn for saying it, so even the spirits agree that this sort of hyperbole is worth the joke, yeah. apparently. The spirits agree um, that it's a dope line. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, so I think like the, the one sort of other interesting thing here is Mags has brought up the, the fire, the blood, the darkness, and sort of said, you know, so we can't let things get too bad here because if I'm in the middle of it, uh, you know, it'll get even worse because of that prophecy. It's like, but she set herself up as the middleman, the ambassador, the messenger in the middle of this fucking war for the lordship. Like, I, <laughs> what does she think's gonna happen? Yeah, <laughs> like honestly, like I, this this seems like a really fucking bad situation for her to be in. She talks about how this is the best spot for her to be, and I'm like, well, no, the best spot would be for you to be like away from this, not mm. in the middle of it. Yeah, I I wonder if there's a less uh politically charged town that she could have set herself up as the ambassador of maybe <laughs> yeah um well you know toronto's not that busy anymore right yeah that's true uh, she could have gone to toronto <laughs> and ingrained herself there i'm sure that would have gone fine um so mags decides hey we need to bind molly which feels weird saying it but i think it's the right decision anyway so mags goes off to buy some salt and uh, while she's off buying salt, more Thorburns show up, Callan and Irene. It's a little family reunion. Yeah, but before that, you've totally skipped on, like, the, the snowball fight of the of the Millennium. Yeah, um, that is a good scene. Between uh, Buttsack and Cub Nugget. It's like, I just love how it's set up, where it's like, you can't hurt anything from like, all these various categories, like plant, animal, human, human-made thing. So they just fucking lay into each other. Like, look, they, <laughs> they, they have to hurt something, yeah. and when everything else is ruled out, they just instantly turn on each other without any yeah. hesitation. Um, <laughs> I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed this as much as Blake did. Yeah, uh, it especially is fun because to watch. The, they're still in their snowsuits, which makes it even funnier to me. It's like, it's like a scene straight out of uh, Gremlins. <laughs> yeah um yeah so so more thorburns show up and it's like i mean this is a great way to ratchet up the tension right like immediately thorburns showing up is bad news <laughs> and if if that wasn't even if that wasn't even bad enough they mention having spoken to sandra duchamp which is like okay something dodgy is going on here yeah i mean 
you're pretty you're pretty immediately like yeah this isn't a coincidence and even blake is pretty immediately like okay this isn't a coincidence uh especially when sandra comes up like you said um so you just you're right you're instantly sort of like okay this is bad like we've got the molly situation going on now her mum and brother are here also as part of some separate scheme like it really feels like this very thin layer of peace that's on jacob's bell is in a lot of danger right yeah now. and i love that i i kind of definitely feel the same thing that mags did where this is a little bit too convenient for it not to be some universe fucking with mags shenanigans i mean it, it, look it's either it's either karma or someone else but you, you're right there's yeah this isn't a coincidence although i guess isadora would say then there is no such thing or something so yeah you know so nothing's a coincidence. Um, <laughs> I, I want to touch on one thing, which uh, uh, let's let's read out this quote. Um, Phew, Aunt Irene said, fanning herself with her hand, blinking rapidly. Don't want to get upset right here. Um, this is the first of a few lines in this chapter, especially at this part of the chapter, where you kind of empathize with these Thorburns more than I think we've ever empathized with any Thorburns before. Um, well, these are technically walkers, right? Okay, I guess just, sure. just to clarify. You're like, right, you're right. I'm being pedantic, but it's packed, so yeah. I get to, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, but, they're, you know, they're here to grieve, right? They're here to grieve for Molly, and... Well, they're here to grieve for Molly on their way to messing with Rose. But, <laughs> sure, no, wait. but still. No, you're right. It's a very human moment, and I think it's important for us to see this human side to them. Uh, uh, although, I'll- although... Would we see this human side if Molly's ghost wasn't making their negative emotions worse? I don't know. Oh, I, I mean, you know, it's that whole enhance versus create thing. Like, I think, I think, mm. you know, um, Molly being there helps, sure. But uh, I, I think for for us as the readers and for Blake, it's very easy to forget that all of his shithouse relatives are people too yeah. especially in the case of Kellen and Irene, apparently very manipulatable people. Yeah. Um, so it's um it's nice for us to see this side to them and be reminded of that because it looks like Blake and or Rose will be kind of coming up against them soon and I, mm. I like it's it's important to quickly remind us before that happens that they're not just shitheads they're they're people too yeah yeah shitheads are people too everybody yeah um, yeah so uh, Aunt Irene Callan and Molly's ghost in tow. All head towards Hillsgale, Hillsglade House. Uh, Blake kind of waits for Mags, fills her in about what's going on, and then kind of hops across the darkness to meet them, but is interrupted by three Tweedledums, we're going to call them. Uh, mm-hmm. Not just because I don't know how to pronounce what they're actually called. Iyayas. Yeah, Iyayas is what I would have said, but yeah, who knows. Um, Yeah, I mean, again, I love, like, Molly going on and following Irene and Callan. It's just another one of those, like, continuously escalating, like, oh, fuck Molly moments. Yeah. Um, Like, you just, because, you know, it's losing the small shred of control they had that at least this wacky Molly ghost shenanigan stuff was contained to following them. Now it's just wandering off and Blake can't do anything. Yeah. It, you know, it really sort of ratchets up the tension yet again. Yeah, um, and I want to talk about these yayas because um, they're very interestingly described. They're, they're described 
in kind of two different ways. One is like fat bald men with tiny penises, right? Which is like mm-hmm. comical and, you know, comparisons to like Tweedledee and Tweedledum. And yeah. the other way they're described is this weird kind of like shark, like predator imagery, kind of like they swim through the darkness like apex predators. It's it's these two very contrasting ideas that mesh together in these things and makes them a very kind of confusing and interesting foe. Yeah, you're right. They they are sort of very interesting, uh, and and I I don't know if we're done with like the concept of them yet because I don't like I don't feel like I fully understood everything about them. Maybe maybe we're not meant to, but uh, you're right. Like they they really sort of emphasize how small Blake is in the mirror world because they're they're so much better at like moving around in it than he is, and that really gives that sense that he's like small and and a bit of prey, like you said. Uh, but also the way they coordinate and stuff really isolates how small and alone he is in yeah. this world. Yeah, they yeah, they're very coordinated as well. It's like it's very interesting. It's it's a very interesting contrast of their like traits. I don't mm. know. Um so they attack Blake, these Yayas, but he cuts them up or cuts one of them up pretty badly, enough that if he he kind of threatens to kill this one and the other two back off. Um Mags turns up and and keeps panicking because these three are three of Johannes's <laughs> allies and hurting them is basically seems like it's kind of an act of war. Um even though I don't know, it was self-defense. It feels like feels like Blake, you know, should be let off the hook for this, which he eventually is, I suppose. Yeah, I was about to say Faisal pretty much agrees with him when he says that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh yeah i mean this is the point in the chapter where i just started to kind of feel sorry for mags like she yep. just wanted a quick chat with blake and it's turned into a fucking disaster because yep. it's blake um it, yeah so i mean it, it's interesting because he starts off with these three come up to him and he's like oh you know don't fuck with me or i'll fuck you up and i was sort of like oh well i guess it was worth a shot to try and bluff them but then yeah. he actually kind of does it yeah and i couldn't help but feel that uh you know this is this is a bit of the spirits uh maybe you know he's He's falling into that sort of mindset of just claiming stuff because you don't work to get him out of Ur, right? He's mm. he's really stepping into that, like, using the dramatics to enhance his stuff without even kind of consciously doing it anymore. Mm. Like, there's, there's no point that he thinks that he's putting it on. He's just doing it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, I'm actually surprised by how cleanly this all resolves. Like, if, if Blake still had the Thorburn bad karma, there's no way Faisal would just be like, yeah, you're right. It was self-defense, <laughs> and here's a few favors in exchange, right? Like, it. I, I don't know. I kind of feel like Mags's blood, fire, and darkness is making things go badly. But we kind of see that things don't always have to go terribly for Blake now that he doesn't have this shitload of karma weighing him down. Yeah, it is. It is a little bit different, isn't it? Um, things don't have to constantly escalate and get worse until he's dead. Yep. Uh, he can. He can talk things down. Um, you know, through the help of a incredibly shifty angel but we'll get there <laughs> yeah sure sure um so yeah Faisal rocks up Faisal appears and uh and he and Blake kind of start bargaining right um mm. and Faisal offers Blake his mortality back like he basically offers him a a control z on this whole story <laughs> well I mean he gives him two options and yeah. they're both equally fantastic for different reasons like it's a it's a real smorgasbord of great options yeah basically more or less what blake has kind of wanted this whole time um which is an out um although the in fairness he would have to help johannes i mean it's kind of vaguely defined what that actually means whether it's 
be a foot soldier in Johannes's side of the war or just kind of do a few favors to him or even just kind of not take part in the war against him i don't know um be part of his pied piper army yeah like, yeah we don't know could be anything uh still feels like a deal that like should have at least given a bit more consideration to yeah i mean like Faisal and Johannes are just so like slimily generous <laughs> i love it like i just it's so good on paper but i'm just sitting here and i'm like i don't I don't trust it. We haven't It's not seen, even that it's too uh, good to be true. I know they're powerful enough yeah. for it to be true. Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't trust them. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop with these two because there's just, there's just no way. We haven't seen Faisal or Johannes do anything that isn't, like they've never not kept to their word or even kept to the spirit of an agreement, right? Like- uh, uh, they've been nothing but consistently over generous, and if yeah. this has to be my Byron's chocolate, then fine. But I just, <laughs> I, I, I'm, sh- I'm convinced. One day I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be able to turn around and be like, "See, I told you they were dickheads." All right, all right. Well, I don't know. I think Blake should have at least considered the deal a bit more. Oh no, he definitely should have. Um, you know, he he doesn't know what they're up to. Um, and yeah, like it's such, it's such a good deal. Um. Yeah. And and as I was saying before, you know, maybe just cut a deal for you where it's not like your job isn't to kill the the Duchamps or Bahams. Your job is to weaken the Thorburns by separating yeah. them because that's what he wants to do anyway. Yep. Um, it's weird that he like, doesn't take it. Right. It's like it. It's weird enough that you're kind of like something's up with Blake. I, yeah, the fact that he doesn't consider it that much. It it felt to me like my my gut instinct was. This is almost him following that that programming that he has to be super loyal and, and mm. stuff like, like assuming that it is something that was sort of programmed into him because it's just it's the thought of Ty, Tiff, and Alexis that pretty much makes him say, oh, "I can't not be with them." Yeah, so I have to turn it down. And uh, I mean, that's sort of an interesting. It's because we see Blake kind of leaning into his otherness a fair bit in this chapter and most of the time I'm like, "Oh, this is bad. He's just turning into a monster." Yeah. Whereas this is the one where I'm like. I mean, I guess this is a good part of your, like, programming to lean into, mm. but, like, what a weird place to do it, you know? Yeah. Like, it's, like the, it's like the good thing he does, but in possibly the worst place. Yeah, I don't know. I, it, it it makes me feel like Blake's... Like, I don't, I don't quite get the, um, get the connection, but I, it does make me feel like Blake's slipping down the other path is a little bit too much, if he's not even considering, like, the... Th- literally the thing that he kind of has wanted the whole story (laughs) um anyway yeah yeah so blake says no unfortunately uh but still gets some favors out of this instead of having his life back he you know gets a few things uh in the future from johannes slash fezal and with these favors up his sleeve he heads off to the hills glade house where rose is (laughs) in heated words with irene and callan (laughs) yeah so again, just just before we, we move away from Faisal, I don't trust these offers at mm. all. Um, e- even these smaller ones, like you know, I think they say he'll leave better, healthier, and happier um, than when he goes in. But like you know, what's the metric for that? Like you know, you, you could be you could brainwash him to be happier. Is that is that a good thing? You know? Yes, um, yes, I just Elliot. Don't trust these we two. get that you don't <laughs> trust Johannes. This exact situation <laughs> happened with with Mags, or she was the girl with the checkered scarf back in arcade. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. she made a deal that could have totally been abused by Johannes, right? 
and he didn't mm-hmm. like he totally stuck to the letter of the deal at uh, the spirit of the deal even kind of going out of his way to make sure that he did um oh, i mean she, he he gave like he gave her a much better deal than he got which um yeah. you know yeah he's just I mean, a sure. nice guy Paul, Paul, Paul did the same thing for quite a while uh mm. to her so you know I don't trust it. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> anyway, anyway. We're, we're leaving that behind now and we can move on to other people. So, I yeah. Trust. So, Rose and Irene and Callan are arguing. Um, and Irene and Callan are clearly kind of being dicks here, but you can't feel too angry at them. Like, one, Molly is ghost emotion ratcheting them up. Uh, and two, they're obviously kind of being used as Sandra's pawns against Rose here. Um, so, I can kind of get behind them being being a bit harsh. Fine. Uh, Rose is also doesn't come off super well in this conversation. She's uh, not super empathetic to them. Well, she's got that conquest aura going on. I mean, it's, yeah. it's really hard, but you, you do got to kind of give her the same amount of slack, uh, I think. Yeah. As I said, it's hard. I kind of just want her to just like, someone needs to put her in the timeout corner until they can fix this conquest thing. Because <laughs> she's, really, she's really fucking grinding on me right now. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. It's just like a, it's just a sad turn of events when everyone's angry at each other and nothing's going to get achieved it's just going to make things worse i mean it's a good move by sandra right like just a good play um what's interesting to me is this like i actually went back and and read the bit where blake encounters uh irene callan and i think it was christoph as well in Mm. 2.1 before the uh his first council meeting uh because it was kind of similar right sandra just sent well we've always assumed it was sandra um i guess we don't know but uh, presumably Sandra sort of pointed them at him and, and had them go all aggro. Uh, and when you go back and read that, Blake is very sort of, he's just like, hey, I'm sorry for your loss. And he's non-confrontational. They just get angry at him for it. Yeah, and he's he's very, like, he's as good as he really can be up until the point Cal tries to punch him and then he, he punches back. But again, he, like, he was acting in self-defense. Whereas, you know, this time with Rose, they, they sort of come up and Rose is just instantly, like, yeah, just returning their vibes She's straight back right at them. She's prickly right bat. Mm. Um, and I-, I wanted to pull out one quote from this bit, uh, which is, is where Rose is, um, sorry, I- Irene is telling Rose that most of the family is in town. You're alone in this. And then Molly's ghost just echoes, uh, alone, yeah. which is, um, tragic. Like every- <laughs> the more we heard about Molly, the more I'm just like, gosh, yeah. she got a raw deal. Like she's just, a yeah, she figure. really did. Didn't she? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, she, she really seems to be the most just victim person yeah. in in any story ever um, even more of a sacrificial pawn than blake and that's saying something yeah yeah exactly um at least blake was programmed to be able to cope with this stuff um yeah but yeah and then also of course you know the whole thorburn family t- is in town like i don't know who this is worse for the thorburns or everyone else i guess we'll see <laughs> yeah the, it <laughs> you know what the vibe i mean you get this vibe of like these really entitled people kind of vacationing or whatever right where they just they rock up and they're like yeah this town's mine and they just kind of shits about it and i expected that's going to go down in some very interesting ways uh against the rest of the uh, J- jacob's bell populace yep um yeah so rosa eventually scares off uh, irene and callan <laughs> before turning her aggression on blake who's just kind of innocently there trying to help Yes, and one of the last lines uh, Rose says to Irene is, the sooner you realise there is no such thing as a true ally, the better off we'll be. Yeah. Which is just, mm, you know, uh, isn't Rose in a good space right now? Yep, and behind uh, her, what could possibly Alexis, go Tiff and Ty all look at each other. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, yeah, it's she's clearly not in a good place. No, I think we spent the last arc and a half. You know, all all of arcs, all of arcs nine and ten. Yeah, Um, having that drilled into us, and it's just another great example of like Rose is not good. Yeah, Uh, Blake says, "Bleh." I don't suppose you could look up Iya, Rose. I've got enough to do, she said. Um, very unhelpful. But honestly, I've tried looking up Yaya and I couldn't find anything, so wouldn't have helped anyway. Yeah, I mean, I guess she has better books than, than we do on this yeah, stuff. Yeah, true. Although they don't have, like, Google search for... Uh, well, I'm sure they do. Yeah, like, surely I, they I have practitioner said, Google. I think we talked about this. There's got to be a practitioner wiki in this world. Like, yeah. you'd be crazy not to. Yep. Um, anyway... <laughs> Rose is just yeah she's she's unhelpful she's she's aggressive towards Blake for no real reason he's kind of here being helpful um Mags and Blake kind of decide hey we we better keep attempting to bind Molly uh, and Blake also offers to kind of prevent the family from making a play on the house and Rose is just not impressed and is <laughs> unhappy in general <laughs> yeah so I'm just I'm just going to keep reminding myself that it's it's conquest fault it's mm-hmm. not all her fault yeah i don't know i just <laughs> i just she's so she's so enjoyably aggravating right now uh rose like I, I can't wait to see how this sort of develops with blake trying to help her and the others while she's just being so difficult <laughs> yeah um and we get towards the end of the chapter with blake saying to mags don't say that that's a bad omen and molly chimes in there are bad omens everywhere I want to see the family. I have to warn them. Which is the most <laughs> sentient that she's been. And it's kind of, it's this continuing thread throughout the whole chapter of her chiming in again and again and becoming more and more coherent each time. Um, yeah. It, I don't know. It's like, I am I love the vibe of her becoming more and more real. And um, the fact that <laughs> Molly saying such a coherent sentence unsettles Blake is a great way to hint at uh, what presumably is going to be coming up next where they have to deal with a whatever stronger Molly ghost um, yeah I mean because there was uh, wait I sort of talked about the start of the chapter there's this real sense that they've activated Molly and where's yep. it going to go and then that sort of falls by the wayside as we get distracted by all these other problems and then the chapter kind of swings but right back around and, and sucker punches you with it again at the end it's just like uh molly's still fucking doing something like <laughs> something's happening yeah. with with molly and i'm hoping this means we're going to get insight into uh like what the fuck rose senior or, or whatever has put into motion because molly's sort of always been the piece that i've never understood from that like yeah. what is what How was the point of having her the, as the buffer yeah uh and hopefully hopefully sort of seeing that will at least sort of fill in some gaps but i hope we get to see that next chapter yeah well we'll see i suppose um yeah i like this chapter i like the i this chapter feels like usually by the third uh, chapter of an arc we would know what the major threat is we kind of have the themes of molly getting stronger maybe she's gonna be the major thing that is dealt with in this chapter or rose's general animosity but i like that this chapter is a bit more kind of freeform and we're just kind of re-establishing ourselves i like it yeah, well, it's definitely like you know, I, 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 as Blake has exited the uh, abyss, um, as it seems to be called, um, from from Mark Nine. This is really the arc of reestablishing himself, and he's just trying to do it in the minefield that is Jacob's Bell right now, uh, yeah. which is making for a, 
like a, a less directed arc which is quite nice like it, it's just like sort of walking around trying to figure out how to get everyone to stop treating him like shit mm. um it, it, it's cool and i mean you know this was a great chapter as you sort of said um we've we've mentioned a bunch blake is really embracing his role as an other um like he's so calm all the time he's enjoying the goblin fights he's getting into fights um he literally rejects the chance to become yep. essentially human again um but like i i really there's a sense in this chapter of just how alone everyone is mm. like mag's pretty alone um you know of course she's got is blake and her goblins which you know all three aren't really working out for her i'd say yep um Molly, like, literally walks around saying how alone she is. Um, that yep. was pretty obvious. She is uh, literally a spirit know. of loneliness, seemingly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, Rose is fucking, you know, a little miss social right yeah, now. Yeah, no true allies, Rose. <laughs> so, um, and then, wait, you know, there's that image of, like, how Blake is fighting against a really coordinated set of others. Um, so, that, I, I don't know, there's this real sense of, like, everyone is, or all of our sort of mainish characters right now are very alone in the midst of yeah, all this. Yeah, it's um, a far cry from, what, arc six or arc seven, when we kind of had Rose, uh, Maggie, in air quotes, Blake and the Cabal all working together in pretty good, like, tight, cohesive ways. Mm-hmm. And this is the complete opposite of that, where they're all, like, splintered again and it's just not working well, out I, for any of them. Yeah, and if you think about, like, those four people I've mentioned, they're so disjointed, like... Mags is away and Blake is stuck in the mirror. Then Mags gets back and he immediately sort of jumps ahead and she's catching up and then she leaves and they're like everyone is so staggered and yeah. not at all sort of in sync. They're all constantly catching up to each other. Um, and, you know, Ty, Tiff and Alexis don't even make an appearance in the thing. It's just Rose, which yeah. I think is very intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll see how these themes continue throughout the rest of Malafide. But before we wrap up this episode, we wanted to dive into some comments that came out when this chapter first came out five years ago on this day. See what people mm-hmm. were saying at the time. Um, I pulled out a comment by Monsomol, and this is this is an interesting comment that pointed out something that I think I missed, where back in 10.1, Blake is looking around the mirror world, and he sees the interiors of houses weren't lit any more than Hillsglade House was. This is after he's been kicked out of Hillsglade House. And yep. not every roof was reflected in a surface, which seemingly indicates that even in houses where there would be mirrors, he can't see the interior of these houses, which presumably means that he is not able to access the interior of the Houses of Innocence, is the connection that Monsomal makes here. Um, and I like this. Yeah, which I think we've been told is a rule for most others. Right, but last chapter, Blake was talking to his new best friends, and they were talking about how mm-hmm. since they're newer, they're not really bound by uh, the Seal of Solomon or some other conventions of others. Um, I just like, I like that uh, Monsomal pulled this out and said... Well, you know, even if Blake is becoming more of a monster, he he still can't go around murdering innocent people. So that's good. So, yeah. <laughs> well, at least he, that I mean, he happen. still can, but it's going to be harder. Yeah, um, he has to do it outside. Just, yeah, exactly. Um, so I pulled out a comment by Yaglorba. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yaglorba. Yep. I'm sorry, for, but you made a name that's hard to pronounce. Um, <laughs> so Yaglorba sort of points out that the the barber, you know, we, we've talked a lot about like Barbatorum and how it might have been involved in the the Blake and Rose situation. Um, Yuglorba points out that like, what if the barber was also used to cut Molly off from the afterlife? Mm. Uh, because as she's getting more and more sentient, like you know, she she's maybe approaching that point where you can say she's like almost more of a soul, like Evan, and so yep. you know, maybe this is something that was 
because again, I I can't I keep coming back to this point that it kind of feels like a Thorburn coming in proximity to her is sort of what activated her. Mm. Um, and, and I guess we'll see, but I, I do like this idea, and especially because it spawned a little debate in the comments about whether or not this was a good thing to cut a Thorburn off from the afterlife because. Like, we've been told pretty explicitly that a Thorburn heir is not destined for a good afterlife, so arguably <laughs> cutting them off from it isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. I mean, we don't know enough about the implications of being cut off from it to, to, to say for sure, I guess, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting it, argument. When we first learned that Barbatorum can cut people off from the afterlife, that felt like something that was so... It felt so different to the other things that we would learn that um, mm. it, it kind of stuck out a bit. So maybe that's uh, maybe this is the payoff for that. Maybe Molly is uh, some kind of super soul ghost that's cut off from the afterlife. I mean, because we know Evan was how he was because ha- the hyena, or this is the theory Blake uh, said, I'm pretty sure was, Evan was more than just a ghost because the hyena scared off whatever, you know, Reaper Should was there to claim him. him. Yeah. Yeah. So we could, I could see this being a thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know we'll 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 see more as uh, Molly comes more into whatever the hell she's coming into. <laughs> yep, um, and we'll have to see that in our next episode when we're talking about uh, the rest of Malafide. Um, if you have thoughts about what the heck's going on with Molly or just how 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 mean Rose is acting, the place to leave those <laughs> thoughts is in our discussion thread, which we linked in the uh, episode description down below. Any hints as to what Ayaya might be would also oh, be yeah. very appreciated. Oh, yeah. So, okay, let me just say this. So, in the comments of this, I was Googling Ayaya to try and find out if there were any kind of other information about it. And in the comments, people were having a discussion about how they couldn't figure anything out about what an Ayaya was. And Wildbo commented, um, Wildbo commented something that seemed to indicate that they do exist... It's just that Ayaya is the way that the word is pronounced, not the way that it actually is spelled. So if you Google the right combination of letters, you might be able to find something about <laughs> it. Um, I couldn't. I couldn't find anything. But if anyone has any ideas on how that might be spelt, give it a shot. Let us know if you find anything. It's a very practitioner answer from Walbo, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? I mean, Walbo is known for giving some of these kinds of answers. <laughs> um, if um, you do find anything, the the place to get in contact with us is through our Twitter. Tweet it at us at, at MediaMDPodcast. Yes. And as we like to say, there's more to life than Pact, and you can find the rest of it at doofmedia.com. Yep, but not more to life than other Doof Media podcasts. Well, no. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And and if you head over to doofmedia.com, you can finally see the new launched Mm, What You Say, which is the new name for Vout of You when they're talking about the OC. Um, Mm. The first episode of that has just come out yesterday, so check it out and uh, hear mm, what, what they say. (laughs) <laughs> Wait, Elliot, uh, do you hear that? It's back. What you say? Oh, it's the newest doof show. It's got Annalise. Mm, what you say? Oh, could it be just best? Of course it could. Mm, what you say? Oh, it's just what we need. Episode by episode, media discussion. Oh, add another one to the list. Good one, Whoa. Ruben. Oh, it's ba- uh, I hope that thing doesn't show up again. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Anyway, yeah, yeah so, check you know, out what you say on doofmedia.com. Yeah, and 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 when you go and check out what you say and you fall in love with it, what you want to do after that is head to patreon.com slash doofmedia and, uh, you know, throw some money Scott and Elise's way and, and you know, in the way of the whole Doof Network because it's it's our patrons that really sort of keep all of the content from Doof Media alive. Yeah. Um. To all our great patrons, why not think about if you're in a, a financial position to do so, upping your pledge. We've we've introduced more shows to the network recently, and uh, that means that the money is spread more ways, um, which is good. But also means that we want to we want to increase the amount of pledges that we're getting so that we can keep doing cool things. So, and, and we've just revamped all of the uh, Patreon tiers, so there's tons of cool new benefits. So mm-hmm. go check them out. Yes, especially if you were previously pledging at maybe one or two dollars a month. Uh, going up to $5 will have you get access to new things like the new Doof and Chill streams, uh, where we uh, Doof, Doof hosts will all hang out and kind of hang out with chat and uh, play games, interact, and, and just have a fun time together. Um, we've actually got our first Doof and Chill stream coming up this Saturday. We'll be playing uh, Jackbox games with well, uh, chat. I think it's Friday for Friday, American, American people. Time. Saturday Sorry, for yes. us, though. Saturday, Australia time. Oh. Yes, and, and of course, Pact is written by Wildbo. And if you want more cryptic answers that don't actually actually mm-hmm. answer the question in yep. the comments, yep. head to patreon.com slash Wildbo and, and help make sure that he can keep writing those comments. Yes, every time somebody doesn't back him on Patreon, he responds yes to an either-or question. <laughs> um, so help, av- help avoid that situation today by backing him on Patreon. <laughs> um we love you, Wildbo. So on that note... Yep. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> on that note, we'll see everyone on uh, Friday the 23rd of August for 10.4. We'll see you then. Bye.